Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Cybersecurity Weekly. Today we have with us Kate Labunietz, and Kate is a postdoctoral researcher in the Faculty of Technology, Policy and Management, and uh, Section Safety uh, at TU Delft. Welcome, Kate. Uh, good morning, and thank you for joining us. Thank you, Amit, for inviting to your podcast. It's a pleasure to uh, talk about some stuff that I'm doing in TU Delft. Yeah. I mean, uh, cutting through the slack, I'll directly jump to something, something very exciting that you're working on. You've been uh, working a lot on cyber risks and management of risks, uh, doing a lot of research on that topic. Uh, and, uh, and I've also uh, read uh, more about the H2020 Cybeco. Could you give us a glimpse of what uh, is H2020 Cybeco? Well, uh, H2020 is short for Horizon 2020. This is a research program uh, that found different projects across Europe, European Union. And specifically, Sabeka was focused on researching how behavioral nudges can help uh, uh, to improve the adoption of cyber insurance uh, across companies and to uh, create um, modeling uh, tools that helps companies to understand what is the benefits of cyber insurance for them, how they can combine it with existing um, security controls and best practices that they can adopt and invest in. There are many other organizations also, they are quite nervous about uh, the, the ongoing cyber attacks and as the cyber attacks are increasing, uh, be it um, a ransomware attack or be it a malware which is uh, or an APT sitting in their network for a long time, leading to a big crash later on. And uh, many often, uh, quite often companies also, or bigger organizations also think about if there is an insurance to uh, take care of the situations, like business continuity is always a challenge, right? So in your experience, uh, what are the biggest threats for these big organizations that uh, can make them uncomfortable in un uh, you know, unforeseen circumstances? Well, it really depends on the type of the company, its size, uh, what business domain they work in on. And uh, if we talk about cyber insurance here, we need to be careful at the moment. Uh, because if we look at the example of uh, Maersk uh, ransomware attack uh, in 2017, uh, they had an insurance uh, against uh, cyber uh, risks and cyber uh, incidents. But unfortunately, uh, the companies that they insured them, uh, they got a lot of claims and probably they decided to defend themselves. I know. And they, uh, they basically said that uh, this not petty ransomware attack was an act of war. Uh, and um, normally in, in insurance, uh, this type of uh, problems is uh, under exclusions. So they tried it probably to cut the costs that they would pay to the clients under the insurance policies. Like normally, yeah. cyber insurance moment is very interesting option how to transfer a part of your risk for uh, small, medium enterprises as well as the big companies. Uh, but you need to uh, understand very good your threat landscape and pick uh, an appropriate insurance policy that would cover the, the, the risks that are most threatening, let's, uh, let's say, for you, or and they're very expensive to be mitigated. And what do you think about the limitations of cyber insurances? Are there any? 
uh, cyber insurance has also uh, its limitations. So when you uh, looking for appropriate policy, you need to uh, understand clearly that um, none of cyber insurance will cover penalties or fines from regulatory uh, body because uh, it's uh, unlawful. So none of cyber insurance can do this. And if somebody promise, don't believe them. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Another interesting thing that I found that like uh, it can be uh, a bit unethical from cyber insurance side, but some cyber insurance policies they covers uh, they cover uh, ransom uh, demand from ransomware uh, attackers. So and I found this uh, interesting example like in two thousand. I think 18 or, or so, uh, there were two cases in uh, in Florida, in the United States, uh, that within one week, in two cities in this state were uh, attacked by a ransom who basically locked the uh, infrastructure computers in, in offices of the uh, city council and they, they paid ransom to the attackers because cyber insurance covered it. And it was about 600 uh, in one case, 600,000, uh, and in other cases, uh, 480,000 US dollars. Yeah. So sometimes, so if you're uh, not IT specific company uh, and you want to uh, mitigate this problem, you can consider having cyber insurance. Even to pay ransom, but on the other side, it would motivate attackers to attack uh, yeah, more and more uh, similar um, organizations. Yeah. So we really need to think about what are the consequences in, in this case. Yeah, and another sensitive one, but perhaps uh, pay uh, depend because you have a, a cyber insurance for ransomware, and you consider paying ransom uh, to the attackers may lead to another line of business, which is the insurance companies, you know, uh, shaking hands with the attackers and they're becoming the attackers. So, I mean, we're talking about risk mitigation strategies and uh, of course risk transfer is the most favorite in the uh, bigger organizations because uh, it's always good uh, if the risks uh, remediation gets easier for the organization because they want to focus on the right things and the uh, meat in the plate and that is fair enough. But uh, the root of uh, risk remediation strategy is risk assessment. And that is something which is uh, uh, often a topic which makes people very curious. We have ISO standards to do risk assessments. We have ISO 27001, which is becoming really famous these days. Again, uh, uh, strategy to, uh, which is based on uh, um, risk assessment overall. Uh, so how do you think, uh, why should organizations uh, think about risk assessment uh, and how important is risk assessment versus, uh, you know, uh, getting an insurance for your risks? Mm, that's a very good question. Well, if you think about why would you need to do a cyber risk assessment or cyber risk management in general, here could be different reasons like uh, you already have, if you're a big company, you already have some risk management company in place and you want to extend it by cyber because you decided you um, digitalizing your business, let's say, and you want also to cover this part as well. Uh, then it can be because 
uh, you're a startup, for example, and a bigger company want to invest in you or buy you, actually, then uh, the buyer for sure want to understand what kind of risks, risks they are also buying and what are the risks of the investments. And uh, we can see a lot of startups uh, currently in a cyberspace uh, or um, in a digital uh, domain, let's say. That's why cyber risk management is very important to them. Um, what else? Maybe because you're watching this video, you're interested in cyber risk management and it's already yeah. one of the reasons why you would uh, interested and what uh, need to do cyber risk yeah. management. What else? And if you want to consider cyber insurance as one of your uh, risk mitigation or risk transfer options, uh, some of the companies also require to do uh, at least high-level risk uh, assessment uh, in order to understand also what is the threat landscape of the company and what is the risk of this uh, uh, of the client. Uh, how would how much money they would need to pay in case of cyber incident? Uh, also, uh, cyber risk management can be um, motivated, let's say, by the newly introduced standards like NIS or GDPR or some local uh, uh, regulations um, that require you to do due diligence when you do digital uh, services. And uh, for sure, cyber risk management and risk assessment is a good practice how to uh, strengthen this part and uh, uh, build uh, a, a good uh, picture on, on your threat landscape. Yeah. So, some of our listeners are kind of business leaders. They are really good at what they're doing, uh, but uh, they are like the CXOs who understand the business really, really well, but they are not very comfortable about how to manage their security risks because that's something new coming in for, uh, with uh, uh, information management, GDPR, and a lot of uh, push from the regulation side. Uh, this has taken a lot of, um, uh, a lot of importance in uh, managing the business as well. So uh, when bigger organizations, and, uh, which, which are totally focused on sales, want to spend on cyber risk management as well, what uh, tools would you suggest they have in hand? Uh, well, it depends on, again, what kind of uh, regulation you're considering, what is the um, uh, general practice in your business domain, uh, whether you want to be compliant or need to show the compliance with ISO standard, or if you're in America, probably it's uh, NIST um, uh, standards or cybersecurity framework or you have some local national uh, regulations like uh, in Germany, it would be BSI, IT, uh, ground shoots, I believe, uh, some yeah, kind of yeah. security framework. Uh, so really depends on, on what is the geographical position of your company. If you're a multinational company, for example, then you need to take into account different uh, standards. But if we talk about the approaches, let's say, or methodologies, like a general uh, risk uh, management uh, framework, if you look into ISO 31001 uh, standard, it consists of uh, 
consists of very simple steps. So first you need to understand the scope of your risk assessment, whether it's company in general or you have a sub-project, let's say within company and you want to secure one of the departments or a part of your system or a specific system. Then you focus uh, your risk assessment on this specific uh, scope. And next, you need to identify your assets or so-called crown jewels. So what would be the most uh, precious thing in your business that you want to protect and uh, that would affect um, your business uh, quite significantly if it would be damaged or stolen. And next, when you understand your assets, you can think of the threat, uh, threat scenarios or attack scenarios what is the source of the threat uh, that want to harm or damage this asset. And when you understand your threats, you do the risk assessment, you relate the likelihood and um, uh, possible consequences of this uh, risk. And finally, you, uh, you have to pick up uh, an appropriate security controls in order to mitigate these uh, risks. Again, you, you would, mm, want to focus on the most uh, critical risks and focus your investments on the, on mitigating this risk down to the acceptable. And while well, if you found some uh, bearable risks or the risks that you can simply accept at the moment and or keep monitoring if uh, the level would change in the future and then you would want to uh, consider uh, new mitigation strategies to deal with them. But it's also important after you did your risk assessment is to communicate uh, the result of your risk assessment uh, with um, um, interested stakeholders. Uh, it could be top management or uh, the end users in the department that will be affected by these uh, security changes. For sure, you need to take into account different parties and talk to them. Uh, that's, I think, a critical um, aspect of the cyber risk management program is to uh, communicate with different people and uh, get them on the same page uh, with the result of your risk assessment or as a source of the uh, security requirements, let's say. Yeah, and from time to time, you have to repeat. Uh, your risk management and uh, update uh, uh, the, the results in order to understand because cyber domain is uh, uh, very dynamic and uh, it changes quite quickly. You need to be, uh, be able to react on these rapid changes like with ransomware attacks for them. Yeah, that, that's fair. And that's uh, for you guys. And it's uh, very nicely summarized the first thing and most important bit of doing the right uh, or to uh, no matter what uh, strategy you choose to do the risk assessment. The first and foremost thing is to analyze what are the jewels that you are saving for your organization, identify the assets. And then the story starts from their assets and then find the threats to the assets, do the risk assessment, move on to do the remediation planning and then repeat very important and communicate really well. Uh, five important bits of, I would say, a solid risk assessment. Uh, that, that's, a, uh, that's a very uh, crisp answer, I think, uh, Kate. Thank you for that. How would you recommend to the industrialists or industries to choose the right cyber risk assessment process for them? 
our methodology for them. Yes, it's very interesting because we have plenty of different methodologies that uh, were designed in order to help uh, security analysts or um, even security people who has no experience in security uh, to do uh, cyber risk assessment of the projects. So <clears throat> we can think of the um, more national kind of security methods like in UK uh, IAS uh, um, methodology or uh, Marguerite in Spain as well as uh, German BSI. I think Grunsch's um, standard comes with uh, some kind of methodology and catalogs in order to organize security risk assessment. And in my PhD, I was uh, researching the uh, effectiveness of uh, methodologies like CORAS or uh, security requirements engineering process uh, uh, that built uh, on Margaret standard and methodology. And also the security, security risk assessment process that was uh, designed and uh, proposed in the air traffic management uh, domain. Yeah. And they are all uh, interesting and uh, maybe quite useful if you master them. But they are also different, like Chorus, for example, it's uh, more visual uh, based uh, or diagram based methodology, while Secram and Serap, they are based on the tables and uh, use natural language in order to model threats. Um, uh, and uh, really, so if you have a small project, probably you can use a Chorus and facilitate the brainstorming of your uh, threat identification phase and um, have a visual uh, approach in order to understand what are the gaps in your uh, cyber risk assessment. While the SECRAM or SREP, um, they uh, can be easy to document uh, different steps of your risk assessment because they use tables and you can, for example, use Excel spreadsheets in order to organize it and have a tool support for your risk assessment. Um, so that's why one of the factors is really uh, the scalability issue. Let's say if you have a big project, uh, probably uh, some tabular-based uh, uh, methods would be easy to use and uh, you won't have a problem with scalability when you reach you know, hundreds of the different threads or you have uh, mm. I know, several dozens of your assets to be analyzed. Then chorus would be not the best choice in this case. You would deal with um, uh, you know, many different diagrams that you need to build. Uh, another thing is also learning effect. So if you know some uh, methodology or notation already, so it would be easier to start using this methodology. Or yeah, basically you need to uh, look into the existing practice in your company, what already has been uh, done and uh, maybe choose something uh, close uh, in terms of the of this notation to what you already know. But if you're up to learning something new, fair enough. 
Well, another thing is also having a tool support uh, because uh, drawing diagrams on a piece of paper would be <laughs> not the best solution because then you need to, once you need to update it, you need to uh, redraw it. Uh, so you need to think about the uh, available tools for these methodologies. And again, with a tabular, for example, it would be easier to use uh, existing uh, spreadsheet <clears throat> software. What else? Um, so we have chorus for a visual, a visual uh, representation of uh, analyzing th the threats. And if you are uh, you're using, if you want to have a, uh, if you have a bigger organization where you want to have uh, more in-depth analysis and more number of uh, threats that you're talking about, probably a table-based approach. So moving towards Secrem way of working can be another good option. So two options so far. Yeah. Uh, that's right. So one of the things is uh, decide between visual-based or uh, tabular-based uh, methodologies, uh, taking into account that there could be a scalability issue. Uh, another uh, factor is that how clear is the process uh, in the methodologies that you're considering. So if you're able to understand and explain to another collaborator uh, that uh, could, could be a good methodology to use if you have some doubts or uh, you have a lot of questions when you read through the guidelines. So probably there will be an issue to explain your management or your uh, collaborators, uh, uh, fellow uh, security analysts, how to use and build uh, your cyber risk assessment uh, process within the company using this mm. unclear process. So another thing is uh, availability of, uh, let's say, knowledge sources like catalogs. So some methodologies, they uh, come with uh, uh, catalogs of security threats and security controls, uh, like NIST uh, standard, uh, mm -hmm. the 853 uh, special publication, I guess, mm -hmm. that comes with a set of uh, best practices, uh, how to mitigate threats or BSI has <laughs> a huge catalog, like 5,000 uh, pages yeah. of different knowledge that they collect uh, through different domains. Or there are some domain-specific catalogs or standards that you can look into, like, like PSI DSS standard, or uh, if you look in, again, I've worked a lot with air traffic management domain. They have uh, the Euro control air traffic management uh, catalogs. It's only, I believe, 30 pages, uh, but it collected the most critical problems in the domain and the best practices that they used to mitigate them. So for, uh, for people working in this domain, it's um, kind of, uh, golden standard, let's say. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and the last maybe it's again coming to the visual aspect is risk modeling support. You can take even tabular methodology and uh, extend it by, let's say, plugging in some existing modeling approaches. Again, you can use to uh, take diagrams from chorus or you can also look into the FAIR approach, for example. Uh, and to organize the risk modeling part, even if you don't have specific uh, approach within the methodology. So it's really about experimenting, let's say, and uh, understanding what are your goals of this cyber risk assessment. Mm -hmm. Just to build a threat landscape understanding for your company, but if 
do you need also to um, uh, illustrate or to show that you're compliant with a certain standard? Well, depends on these goals, you will think about different methodologies. Now, would you recommend that Sebeco has any offering for the organizations to take from, especially talking about the uh, tools support for risk management? Okay, yeah, in Sebeco, one of the questions that we were researching is how to use uh, uh, adversarial risk modeling approach and to uh, facilitate a better analysis and uh, finding a better investment strategies for companies taking into account the current threat landscape, uh, like possible common problems for the companies uh, in the domain, as well as uh, appropriate cyber insurance policies. So we did uh, uh, many simulation using this approach uh, with different uh, company scenarios, let's say. Um, it is at the moment, uh, at the proof of concept uh, stage, let's say, uh, but I hope uh, like Europe will find money in order to uh, tune it into industrial service. It help, will help practitioners to choose uh, an appropriate combination of security measures together with cyber insurance option. The most important bit and the uh, most dangerous, and I would say the strength and the weakness at the same time in cybersecurity world are the people. Yeah. Right. So what do you think about the human aspects of cybersecurity over here? Well, it's a whole new world, let's say, for cyber risk uh, management. Uh, we definitely have to look into the uh, human factors in cybersecurity. I think at the moment, the current cyber risk management approaches are mostly focused on the technical solutions of the probably technical problems. Um, to some extent, they're trying to control the behavior of people that works, uh, work with these uh, systems. But unfortunately, like, uh, we are trying to enforce security rather than to build it in a normal working process of users. Um, so that's why I think um, we need to um, look closer into the uh, how people use the solutions that uh, security practitioners try to propose them or implement in the system. And for example, uh, I started to work with a new colleague recently and he is one of the co-authors of the great paper uh, that's called um, uh, Shadow Security, uh, like how, what we can learn from uh, um, this practice basically by shadow security they understand the deviations that people or um, uh, employees in the company creates in order to uh, achieve uh, the business goals primary business goals and maybe to uh, secure the work uh, depending to, to some extent how they understand the risks that they are mitigating but the thing is when you uh, implement a new security control like you impose a new security policy uh, sometimes people uh, 
the normal working process is affected by these changes and they're trying to revert to the normal process because they got used to this and they don't want to change the work but you need to improve the security of the system and then you have a conflict here so you need to think about these possible conflicts and consequences of the uh, security uh, mitigations that you implement and introduce into the system uh, so, for example, if you in, decide to strengthen your uh, password security policy and require them to use, I don't know, uh, some 20 symbol password at least, or you yeah. uh, ask to um, not to factor to do to factor authentication, but something that more complex compared to the normal uh, way of working and uh, in authentication in the system, then you probably have an impact also on your call center or customer support because people will start uh, forgetting the password and you need to uh, instruct them what they can do in this situation. Uh, so really, when you think about the implementing security uh, policies that affect uh, people's uh, or employees' uh, working process, you need also to model and think about the consequences for end users, basically. And another, uh, another let's say, <clears throat> reason why you want to uh, think about or want to consider and involve people in your cyber risk assessment is that uh, among the top uh, threat uh, activities that, for example, uh, Verizon, yes, they put in the report, still in the top uh, threat activities uh, uh, prevail uh, human, um, human activities like mm. You have phishing, you have misconfiguration, uh, you have misdelivery of some confidential information. Uh, also, you have a privilege abuse by the people within the company. So still, this is uh, a big part of your threat landscape. And uh, it's also people who are uh, using your security solutions. So why would you uh, overlook this part? That's interesting. And uh, perhaps that's a part of your ongoing research as well. So uh, would you throw some light on what you're working on right now and how is it going? Indeed, having a background in cyber risk assessment uh, and studies of the strengths and weaknesses, uh, like I said, I, I come up with this um, understanding that we are, at the moment, this methodology is mostly focused on how technically secure uh, some uh, existing problems uh, in and solve existing problems in information systems. But you cannot have 100% security with this approach. Uh, there still will be some uh, part that, uh, let's say, affected or uh, controlled by humans. So you need to understand better human nature and behavior. That's why, you know, I'm more interested in understanding uh, the security behavior of employees within companies and uh, how this behavior can be incorporated or taken into account when you do your cyber risk management or think about the um, security solutions to be implemented. So uh, it <clears throat> has like, um, normally it's called usable security, uh, let's say. 
So you do like in requirements engineering or software engineering, you need to do also a usable test, usability testing for your security solutions. Yeah. And uh, like the most recent proposal that we together with colleagues uh, wrote is about the uh, issue of the security updates. So very often we postpone updates on our devices uh, because we uh, we have this probably uh, uh, concern about what what is the effect of security update on my laptop? Will it crash? Will it be um, can I still use it after the updates? How much time it will take? How it affect my normal working process? Let's say. Yeah. Will it give any downtime? Yeah. Yeah, downtime, and it's even bigger concern at the company uh, uh, level. Let's say because they have many devices in the uh, system infrastructure. And uh, they could be quite diverse devices, so uh, different security updates uh, in different time, different priority of these devices within the business process. So how all these things can be um, uh, can be managed. So how what we can do at different levels, uh, like at the technical level, uh, maybe with automatic patching generation uh, and. Um, uh, maybe uh, controlling or testing the vendor's patches uh, on, on the effect on, on your uh, production uh, process. And then we go in at more enterprise level, uh, what we can do at the, um, at the management within company uh, level, let's say, in order to have a more clear patching process, what will be the ownership, who will own uh, this process, and uh, it's important also to communicate this, uh, the importance of this um, um, activity to the top management, that they also yeah. would support it, and uh, accept that there could be some risks or take into account these risks uh, when they uh, maintain the infrastructure. And the last level, uh, spe specifically that uh, Belt will focus in this uh, project is about the governance level. So what we can do uh, at the cross-company level uh, and uh, regulations, let's say. Uh, what kind of solutions uh, we can propose in order to help companies and uh, um, government state to uh, to mitigate and solve uh, this issue or at least uh, to control to some extent. And that sounds like a, a very vast topic given that we are not only considering uh, security and uh, uh, let's say uh, assessment of what security, what level of security is required, but now we're talking about the human aspects as in understanding the psychology of the people. What yeah. is the most effective security control which will be useful for the people? Because in the end, uh, the consumers are the people, the strongest link and the weakest link in the chain. So a uh, very big topic to uh, research upon and, and very interesting one as well. Yeah. Using, uh, a very yeah. good concern to, uh, to approach this problem. That's true. That's true. Do you think this is uh, this has a lot to do with understanding the human psychology as well? About security uh, patching? Yes, for uh, sure. Yes. There are some papers already who studying uh, the security behavior regarding patching or updates in general. 
and they published uh, so they found out like what, what were the concerns of the end users when they uh, postponing uh, these uh, updates also, they are researching on the best nudges, how to motivate uh, people to uh, to accept and uh, fudge when it's comfortable for them, let's say. Like, for example, now in the system, you can, like, postpone it for, like, do it tonight or uh, remind me tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, uh, next time when you get another pop-up, uh, it's for the listeners, but next time when you get another pop-up saying, uh, do you want to patch your system right now? You want to install the update, the security update right now, or you want to postpone? Uh, think about it, how much research is going on in, behind, in the background to make it easy for you. Not just about the timing, but how the pop-up comes up and uh, a lot to do with how you install the pop-up with the minimum downtime as well. Uh, yeah, also like a uh, recent study that uh, my master's student did uh, it's about, again, it's about understanding how people understand security solutions or technologies and how we can improve the risk communication uh, regarding these uh, aspects. So, for example, uh, my master student, Veronique, uh, she uh, did a series of interviews with uh, experts and uh, lay people in a professional service film about the mental models of uh, VPN technology. What mental models are, basically, it's a representation of how people understand the technology or some specific system works mm -hmm. in practice and uh, basically yeah it builds a map of the uh, view on, on this um, thing or technology and by having these mental models we can understand what are the probable beliefs or misbeliefs of these people in regard to, to technology compared to how in reality it works so what we did is we have a real-world model of VPN and we also uh, talk to people and uh, elicit the uh, understanding on how VPN works. We compare it and find some uh, misconceptions, let's say, uh, in this regard. For example, not uh, everybody understands where the VPN server uh, is placed, whether it's in the internal network of organization or somewhere else, so how it works. And also we talked about the, how VPN uh, affects the threat landscape and what kind of uh, uh, mitigation it can propose to the existing threats. And in this regard, again, there, are some, there could be some confusions that uh, have to be addressed in um, improved risk communication. Specifically in the company, some people could have any concerns that VPN, for example, attracts uh, uh, the attention of the state because if you're using a VPN, you could be suspicious and doing some suspicious stuff. Why would you use VPN? Yeah. Um, but it can be not the case when you're doing it like using a corporate VPN because it's normal stuff when company providing uh, access to the internal network from a remote location for the employees. Um, but still you need to like have understand these little uh, uh, pieces of this map and uh, uh, structure your risk communication accordingly. And uh, would you have any inputs on how, uh, what should the, the leaders consider in choosing the right cyber insurance for themselves? 
Well, uh, first of all, they need to consider the, the results of cyber risk assessment and yes. uh, understand where they can, uh, what risks they can mitigate with the current uh, uh, controls or they have money to invest in the security protection. And what risks, usually uh, you want to ensure um, high impact, low likelihood risks because uh, having protection against uh, risks that will happen once in a while, it doesn't really um, meaningful, let's say, or make sense uh, for your organization rather than mitigate the uh, most frequent risks. Uh, that's why, yeah, look into what, what are the uh, rare but very uh, critical risks for your business. Mm -hmm. So do the math first, do a risk, good risk analysis and to understand the likelihood of what you are trying to protect against and uh, what are the threats and how likely is the threat going for you, for your business. And based on that, you choose the right insurance for yourself. Quite, quite uh, well summed up. Great. Thank you, Kate. That was a very good session. A lot of information and uh, uh, it was a pleasure talking to you and hope to see you soon again. Well, thank you very much for talking and discussing my research as well. Uh, it's also always a pleasure to share my knowledge.